opinions, and attitudes. Attitudes. There's actually uh, intriguing talk. You know, they talk about the news. And you have to respect them for that. You're listening to Right On Radio. Welcome to Right On Radio, everyone. This is part 10 of the Mass Deception series. This will be the final part of the series, and I hope to tie in a lot of what we've learned today without going into historical and revisiting the other episodes. But I hope you're starting to see how cunning and deceptive the enemy is. And today I want to just kind of tie a bow on it. And I will also be introducing the new series, which is very much related to this series. I'm going to continue on focusing with some of the deception. Now I'm getting a lot of criticism, more good uh, feedback than criticism, but I am receiving more than my usual amounts of criticism because I'm pointing out some things. Well, I just want to point to anyone who's watching this on a video, uh, you see right above my head, it says John 832, the truth will set you free. So in order for me to show deception, I've had to be able to show truth and speak truth. Because how do you know if it's a deception unless you know what the real thing says? So I'm going to be continuing in that vein, but in a little bit of a different way uh, going forward. Also, I was on a chat, I believe it was Monday night, and uh, I had shared with the people on the Telegram chat that the Lord had showed me something about worship. And I didn't give away the answer, so I'm hoping those people really want to hear uh, what I believe the Lord gave me. Uh, I'll let you decide whether that's from God or not. Uh, but it was really just a a simple rule on how you know if it's a worship that God thinks is good. And uh, I think the answer is going to be surprising, and it might even become a rule. I think it will be in my life, uh, certainly. So I'll be talking about that. Um, oh, by the way, just on that subject, I posed the question on the chat, what do you think God wants or desires as worship and how do you know? And there were some good answers, but before those answers came, there was a big pause. So it just struck me that, you know, this isn't something that I've struggled with. And I've been listening to music and a lot of people ask me, what music should I listen to? What should I not listen to? Um, so I've been struggling to find the answers to that. And, you know, I, I don't have the answers for every single artist of which you should listen to or what you shouldn't. Uh, to me, I think, you know, all things are permissible, but not all things are good for you. And uh, if you put garbage in, you'll put garbage out, right? Um, so we have to be careful uh, with music. Although, you know, for me, uh, listening to a lot of this uh, old rock and roll that I really, really like to listen to, um, you know, when I do those rock lyrics reveal, it, it really uh, that came from a point that they actually reveal the things of God to be more true to me uh, because they're showing where the spirit of some of the music I listen to comes from. 
and uh, some of the things they sneak in and some of these songs that even sound like love songs and then bam, they just slip it in kind of like in this mass deception series, you know, some of the people we focused on most of the stuff they will say 90 to 95% is going to be good. It has to be. If they don't have fruit, they can't carry on. The devil doesn't mind one of his minions feeding people who are already saved as long as he can trip up some of those ones that are already saved and get them to fall for the deception at the final time. I think it's a bet he's willing to make. So we're going to be talking about that stuff, and uh, I've got some really good scriptures, and I believe the Lord has given me some revelation that should really tie this section up before we go on to the new thing. So the worship I'm going to address at the end of this broadcast, and then I'll tell you about the new series, and I really want you to hear um, the premise of the new series and where the name comes from. Uh, really important because I think it'll paint a picture of where uh, we are going with this. Uh, but first, I do want to just say to you, um, you know, going through Telegram and going through some headlines, this is just from today, and I'm only going to spend a minute or so on this, but <laughs> listen to this. Um, you know, the, the states are considering new legislation after lead, arsenic, formaldehyde are found in cosmetics. You know, if you don't know what lead, arsenic, and formaldehyde do to your body, uh, look, I'm not going to get into a scientific discovery, uh, but I'm going to tell you that they're not good and they do not prolong your life uh, and they don't make your life better. Um, also, by the way, uh, deodorants and stuff like that, uh, you know, like 55 chemicals and it's, a, it's really, really bad. Um, and then I found this one, the FDA has just rebranded hundreds of natural foods, herbs, oils, spices as substances. So they used to be called natural foods herbs, oils, and spices. And this is the regulatory agency. And what the result of this is, is it allows the uh, lobby to law against them and open up new markets for pharmaceuticals. So now they can put pharmaceuticals in the same category as, and I'll just read some of these substances. Aloe vera. Alfalfa, anaseed, uh, asparagus, um, grapeseed oil, ginger, ginger root, dandelion, daisy oil, Jamaican dogwood, magnesium, so important for us, uh, nutmeg oil, parsley, papaya, peppermint oil, pine tar, uh, rhubarb, sage oil, tea tree oil, sesame seed, and zinc. Like these are things, you know, we need in our existence. Folks, they're coming after you. Wake up. And then just this last one. Um, and I've covered, you know, cleaning agents before and uh, how they say that using your regular store brand cleaning agents are 
equivalent, like just the toxins that go into your air are the equivalent of smoking a cig a, a pack of cigarettes every day for seven days in a row. So when you clean your kitchen, everyone in your house just smoked a pack of cigarettes every day for a week. That is the equivalent of what you're paying for to come into your house. Uh, so this last one uh, that uh, comes from SciTech Daily, scientists warn common cleaning chemicals linked to 500% increase in Parkinson's disease. 500% increase in Parkinson's disease. Wake up, people. We have the answer. The cost is the same. The service is better. It's delivered right to your door. The cost is the same. And in fact, we're like on laundry and stuff like that, we're about 30% cheaper and it works better. None of this toxic crap. Go to mylibertystand.com. And as you can see uh, on the screen, I say, where's the beef? That's because food products are becoming a part of mylibertystand.com. Uh, go there today or send me an email, particularly if you're in the UK, uh, Australia. Uh, I can even do Mexico now. And, uh, and of course, New Zealand uh, in Australia. Yeah, so anyways, uh, I don't think the, uh, the meat will go there to those markets just for North America. Anyways, uh, that's enough of that. Let's get into today's topic, which is worship and warfare. So a great question was posed on chat by Eric, and Eric is such a, Eric Whitley, you've seen him on the Saturday Night Sermons when I was putting those up. Um, just someone I, I highly respect. And uh, he puts out some really thought-provoking stuff on Telegram for us. And he he had basically asked a question, how can you discern whether it's coming from, you know, is it you? Is it your circumstances? Is it your sin? Or is it a spiritual attack? Um, so there is warfare. But I want to talk about the discerning part a little bit because that really goes into the mass deception series. And I believe it will help answer those questions. But just as a statement of my beliefs, my beliefs, so I'm not quoting the word of God here. I want to be clear. I believe that most things are spiritual. That's why this show is focusing on the spiritual aspect of our lives. I believe that the spirit world is very much more real than what we are seeing here in the flesh on, on the solid rock that we stand. Um, I think a lot of it is an illusion for us, quite honestly. Uh, there's so many myths, truths, there's lies, everything else. But everything starts in the spirit. So, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know what, I, I, I think I'm being attacked or something like that. Well, if it starts in the mind, it's a spiritual thing. 
So it's probably somewhat of a spiritual issue. Now, it could be just a consequence of something you've done. We sow and reap in this world. And if I sow out bad seed, bad stuff's going to come back to me. It just happens. That's one of God's laws. And by the way, even the enemy knows that. In fact, they teach it uh, emphatically in the esoteric world that uh, you have. they follow what they call God's natural law because they're just infallible laws from God. And you do bad stuff to someone, something else bad is going to come back to you. And even God warns, and I'm paraphrasing, but you know, if we pray for, if we try to curse someone, that curse is going to come back on us, folks. So, you know, instead, for those of our enemies, we're instructed, which is the opposite way the world thinks, we are instructed to pray for our enemies. And then God says, vengeance is his. So I'm going to focus on two areas of scripture today, and it's not going to be necessarily a deep, deep dive, uh, but I think it will fulfill the purposes of uh, what I've already laid out. So we got to go back to the original lie. This is where the series started, and uh, I'm just going to read from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which God had made. I just want to make a commentary as I go here. He's more cunning than you and I as well, not just animals. He saw us being made. He saw the word of God being written. He reads the word of God more than anyone on that in human flesh ever has. He knows every word. He knows every translation. He knows the numerology. He is very cunning. That is important for you to know because that is part of the mass deception. And he said to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? So he puts into question the instruction from God. And by the way, how do we receive instruction from God? From the word of God. And the woman said to the serpent, and she's quoting God, it's in quotation marks, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. So the word of God was spoken plainly to her. You cannot touch it, or you cannot eat it. Just that one. Everything else is good. And by the way, God said, you will die. Well, Adam was never going to die, or Eve. They were made as eternal beings until they brought sin in. The curse of death entered. 
Did they die immediately? No. Did they die? Yes, most certainly they did. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die. Notice the statement. He gives the inversion, the exact opposite of what God said. God said, you surely will die. The serpent says, you certainly will not die. So putting that doubt into her, did you hear it properly from God? Did he really say that to you? Maybe he didn't mean it. Because I know And then the serpent continues to say, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So, again, that's the truth. For God knows that on that day, yeah, God knew this, actually part of God's plan for us, to give us free will, my thoughts. We couldn't have free will unless we knew good and evil. It was his plan all along, obviously, Alpha and the Omega. I don't think that's up for debate. Um, on that day, eat from it and your eyes will be opened. Well, their eyes were opened. Very true statement. Just like many of us going through this, what they call the great awakening, our eyes are being opened to stuff that we should have never seen. Um, not, to, not to say we don't want to know what it is so we can't stop it, but there's just some images and some things I've seen in the last couple of years that, Man, I really wish I had not come into my space. And I pray for the Lord to cleanse my mind of those things. But there's some imprints that uh, are hard to shake. Guard your mind, folks. So your eyes will be opened, and they were. And you'll become like God, not become gods, but you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. We did become like God because God knew what good and evil was. God obviously kicked the serpent out of heaven and along with a third of his, the angels. God knew what evil was. And he didn't like it. He banished it. <laughs> and he's judged it. Victory's already there. But part of the lie is, and I want you to see it, um, you'll be like God because part of this mass deception is, and just like this statement that I just read from the serpent, almost all of it is true. Almost all of it. But it's what he doesn't say that is a falsehood and it's an inversion to God's truth, but it's very minute. It was just a doubt. 
And can he get you to doubt your faith? Can he get you to doubt your salvation? The deception that is coming is going to be so multifaceted. It's going to be pretty much personalized for every personal personality type out there. And I'm, I say this with some degree of confidence. I, I don't know all the answers, but I say this with a degree of confidence that the one thing he's going to want the, I, in fact, I really confident about this. The one main deception that he must accomplish for the Christian believer is that God did not save you and you must do it yourself. And how he pulls that off, I can speculate. It's probably going to be many, many ways so overwhelming that many will fall away, even the elect. And by the way, it's going to be a choice to fall away. I need you to hang on to the fact that the Bible is a supernatural book. It is the word of God. Some people like to say, oh, this just came to me. This just came to me. This is big. A lot of people, you'll hear the phrase, it's the inspired word of God. Oh. Do you see what happens? If I just say that, it's the inspired word of God, but there's man in it. God used men, but God made sure every word that he wanted was in there. It wasn't inspired. It was written by the Holy Spirit. That has to be my belief. If I'm truly going to have faith in my salvation, I have to believe that it was the Holy Spirit that wrote this book. He just used a man's arm and hand to pen it out. The inspired word of God. That's part of the mass deception. That just came to me. Wow. There was a reason why I pray about this. And I, I kind of wanted to get into the part where uh, they get revealed for naked, but uh, I'm not going to. It's just interesting to me. The next part I want to get to is the temptation of Jesus. And I think. This is very revealing because here we have, you know, two clear examples of Satan himself attacking, lying, deceiving. This is warfare. You know, we talked about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And by the way, if you haven't seen the episode on Ephesians 6 that we just did, it's on YouTube uh, and other platforms, not on Rumble. Um, but it's, uh, I really felt the Lord gave me some great stuff to say uh, from his word. And 
you know, I things that I hadn't thought of before I started uh, doing the recording. So I really think it's worth it. And of course, that's the armor of God. Uh, but now let's talk about the temptation of Jesus. And Lord, I pray you give me something new, something that's not commonly said, something that's unique for this audience. I think I had something before I started, but I'm praying for something even beyond that. We'll see. The Lord sometimes doesn't answer your prayer immediately. <laughs> so, um, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the Holy Spirit purposed God, Jesus. The Holy Spirit purposed him. So it's like instruction from the Father. No, you're to go out there and you're going to face this guy. So what does that tell me? That not every attack is from the devil. Sometimes God puts us in situations. And they're for his purposes. This is for God's purpose. It's recorded for his purpose. Obviously. So he was led there by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. It's amazing to me that he was not hungry before then. Because if you listen to the words, listen, you know, I, I've been doing intermittent fasting. Uh, some of it spiritually uh, driven, some of it uh, just because I feel it's good for my body. Um, and it's been working for me, but I get hungry after hours, not 40 days, but he, after he had fasted. So it wasn't like he was hungry on the 39th day, which is amazing to me. Jesus truly knew that God, the father was his substance. And obviously our bodies require food. There's that's not being denied here. But if you're that in touch with God, maybe mealtime doesn't mean as much to you. Just saying. It's actually something I'm finding in my life. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So let's just look at that sentence there. So the tempter comes to him and he asks Jesus, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So he's tempting Jesus, first of all, in a prideful way. <laughs> I don't believe you're the son of God. Prove it. And he's also tempting him with something that is needed in his life, a desire of his flesh. This is the temptation. 
and surely we need to eat. It's good to eat. And Jesus is certainly capable of doing that miracle. Lickety split. Jesus could have done it. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So we can't just live by bread alone. Or we shall not. I guess you can, because a lot of people live as atheists all their life. But we shall not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Again, this is why I have to believe that the canonized Bible is the word of God. Maybe there were 67 books or 77 books, and the devil was clever and thought, I'm going to bring it down to 66 books because 66 is a number I like. Maybe the devil said something like that, and he used his Freemasons inscribing this out and forming the canons. And God said, I'm okay with 66 books because that's actually what I intended. I own the numbers. I invented the numbers. I can choose any number I want. That's God's position. Don't let the devil come and fool you and put those doubts into your mind. So every word that comes out of the mouth of God, that's the Bible. And when we think of our salvation, the Bible is very clear on what we must do to be saved. We must choose to believe the word of God and that Jesus came, was God, came as a man, but was still God. He was born God in the flesh, walked as God in a, as a new creation, the God-man and then died for our sins, dropped our sins off in hell, ministered. That's my part. I believe he ministered there. I got to double check that. Before, so don't hold me to account on that. Uh, but, and then went back into heaven. He seated the right hand of the Father to return once again and bring his kingdom down. So we are called to not only believe, to have faith, we're called to repent of our sins. Lord, you died for my sin. I'm sorry that I've sinned. And to repent is to really turn away. And I know we all have a thorn in our side sort of thing. We all have some sins that we're still committing. We're not perfect. We won't be perfected until the day Jesus comes to get us. But just pray to sin less and sin less every day and turn your heart towards God. And finally, um, you should become baptized. 
I really think that having that outward expression is is key. And I'm not convinced that is what solidifies your salvation. I think when you give your heart to Jesus, it is. But I believe that every just just be baptized. <laughs> just be baptized. I got to do a study on that one day. There's some people who say you have to be baptized to ensure your salvation. Um, I haven't dug deep enough into the scriptures to say those things with confidence, but certainly Jesus became baptized. All the others became baptized. So get saved, get baptized as a free, as an adult of free will, not as a child with a little sprinkle on your forehead. I don't think that counts folks. So there's an overwhelming theme that you're going to see here in these three temptations. So if you are the son of God, puts it on him, goes to his need. And, you know, you could have need in your life. You could be, you could be single as an adult and needing the touch of human flesh, needing companionship. Um, not just sex. It could be, we just need a good friend. You could be alone. You could have, be having trouble in your marriage. You could be having trouble with your children. You, there's all, you might be having financial difficulties. In all these things, the devil will come if there's an opening. If there's any kind of opening, you're susceptible to that temptation. Now, some of it might just be your flesh, and maybe there isn't a spirit there um, directing it. You know, there's only so many uh, demons out there, and there's probably a lot more humans guessing at the numbers. So it's not always going to be an entity saying you should uh, leave your husband. You should do this. Sometimes it's just your flesh, your own desires. But are you susceptible to that temptation? Yeah. Yeah, you are. So what did Jesus say? He gave the answer. Man shall not live on bread alone. So the things of the flesh, your desires of your heart, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So that also has the implication that there's an answer in the word of God for just about, actually for everything that you are going to go through. Well, the Lord doesn't know that, uh, the Lord didn't say that I'm, uh, you know, two and a half, you know, didn't put an example of someone two and a half months behind rent and uh, is out of work. And uh, okay, it doesn't have to be the, but he gave you the answer. He gave you the answer. Go be the Berean. Look it up in the Word of God. And and by the way, folks, the more, the more I look into the Word of God, the more I realize how little of the Word of God I know. It's embarrassing. Been a Christian for over two decades. A lot of that was backslidden. There's like a good 10 years. But... <laughs> 
Uh, I was still a Christian. I still believed in God. I still was scared of God. And the more I'm reading his word, the more I realize how little of it I know. So don't believe everything from me. You must go seek out these things in the scriptures yourself. Verse 5. Then the devil took him along into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Just look at the contrast uh, from verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And now, so God brought him there to be tempted by the devil. Now, the devil is actually taking God. So, God can put those situations in your life, and the devil can put those situations in your life. And by the way... Uh, Man, I say, by the way, way too much. I got to get a jar or something. But what's incredible to me with this, and, and I'm looking at, you know, the original lie from Genesis. Now we're looking at Matthew 4. There's another great example in the Bible that I don't have time to cover, uh, but that's in the book of Job and the story of Job. But I think we're, we're going to discover here is that there is one underlying theme behind all of it. So the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. So that's probably like the highest place. And he said to him, or maybe it's, even, maybe it's not even the highest place, but it, think about this. It's a temple. I, I just thought of this now. Uh, nah, I probably thought about it before. Am I too honest with you? <laughs> just telling you my thoughts as I go. I, I figure it's best to be vulnerable. He said to him, uh, so he stood him up on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, if you are the son of God, so same thing as before, you know, kind of prove it. And maybe, just maybe, the devil wasn't sure if he was the son of God. Because certainly the devil would not have wanted him to be born. <laughs> and he would have tried to foil it. But so, so perhaps there is real doubt there from the serpent at the time. I don't know. This is at the very beginning of his ministry, right? So if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and on their hands they will lift you up, so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. So there's a temptation here. And I don't think the temptation is for Jesus um, to prove his power as much. But the temptation is, if he did this, you know, first of all, he would prove he's son of God, I guess. Um, you know how many people in the city? Because he's in. this is the holy city. This is Jerusalem, I'm assuming. 
And you see this guy floating down in this great, you know, um, elevation trick or, you know, or manifest, whatever you want to call it, miracle of God floating down so gently. Look at the attention he would have got. Look at the fame he would have got immediately. What a great way to kickstart a ministry. And angel, it was, and by the way, I think he's also trying to get him to doubt his relationship with the father. Because God shoot, you know, when, when Jesus was baptized just before this happens, you know, if there was any doubt and Jesus never doubted it because Jesus was God, but as a public witness, God spoke and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So God knew, or Jesus knew, I, I, when I'm saying God, I'm thinking God the Father and Jesus. I, there's both God, okay? Um, and on their hands, they will lift you up so you do not strike your foot against stone. So just such a graceful landing you will have, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, so in ex again, the inversion, first you saw the inversion of the devil takes what God says and offers an inversion to it. Now Jesus uses the word of God and gives the complete inversion of what the devil said. Can they be more polar opposite? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Oh, that's a wise statement. Have you put the Lord God to the test? Wow. That's a tough one, because I think sometimes we do. Not intentionally, not mocking like the devil was here. So again, the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. <clears throat> so Jesus I'm going to get to Jesus' answer in a second, but you know it wasn't, you don't have the right to give that to me. Now, Jesus owns it. Jesus created it. It was his word that spoke everything to existence. So, but he has given Satan authority over the earth right now. He runs the world system. Temporarily will be judged. <clears throat> and of course, he wants him to bow down and worship him. Not going to happen. Then Jesus said, by the way, Jesus created <laughs> Satan, right? So I don't know why I said that, but it's true. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, 
You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is such a beautiful thing he says. So, so first of all, Jesus just commands him, go away. Oh, my, my dog is barking. Hold on. I don't know if that picks up on the microphone. He's downstairs. Attack! Kill! For my listening audience, I have an Akita, which is a very big, powerful dog. And attack, kill. <laughs> I've actually trained him to, uh, that gets him to calm down. <laughs> it freaks people out. It's kind of funny in some personal situations. Because he didn't hear me. Uh, he didn't obey, just like Jesus didn't obey Satan. Back to the study. So Jesus just simply commands him to go away. Jesus had the clear authority to do this. But he gives the reason. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. First commandment. And by the way, this is personalized, if you'll notice. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Speaking to us, certainly. But he's pointing out the sin that got him kicked out of heaven as well. And then the devil left because he had to. He was commanded. And behold, the angels came and began to serve him. So he gets a meal at the end of the day. I bet that was good food that the angels served him. <laughs> I'm assuming it's food. There is so much here. And I think the overall lesson is... You know, when we go back to the first temptation and the temptation of the flesh, which is probably the most common way that we are tempted, quite honestly. Or even deceived. Because, oh, but I need that. Oh, but I need that. No, that's right. And it's good. It's good to have food. You see what I'm saying? But I don't think tying this in with mass deception, okay? The temptation isn't the problem. We are going to go through these things till the day we're glorified. It's what you choose to do. When you get bad doctrine, do you choose to accept it? In the second temptation, the devil quotes scripture. Do you think 
the devil can use man to stand up on a podium and quote scripture. And he just has to say one thing, one little thing that's off. In this, in the second example, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written. And when he gave, quoted scripture, he quoted the scripture. And it was, the scripture was about the son of God. But it's just that temptation, that little deceit. You need to choose to know the word and you need to see the deceit. The greatest deceits for the body of Christ in the mass deception that is here and accelerating in this world is going to come from within. That is why every book in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, with I believe the exception of Philemon, warns of false teachers and prophets. Do you think it's repeated over and over because it's not going to happen? Just because someone looks good? Someone sounds good? They have lots of good fruit? If they have a pulpit, they need to stand accountable for their words. I am no exception to that. I have somewhat of a pulpit here. I know I have to be accounted for my words. That's why when I don't know something for sure, I say, I don't know this for sure. I have not researched exhaustively every subject in the Bible. I wish it were true that I had, but the truth is I have not. And, you know, again, the third temptation he's offered, and it's just a twisting again, a twisting of, and the Lord again goes back to the word of God. And he uses the word of God to rebuke the devil. How do we know what is being taught to us from prophets, apostles, teachers, pastors, deacons, friends, family is good unless we search the scriptures ourselves? And how will you know because it's, if it's a deception, it's going to sound right. That's how deception works. That's how magic works. It has to sound right. But just that little thing, and just at the beginning of this, you know, when I, it came to me, when people say it's the inspired word of God, that's how tricky the deception is, and you have to know. And the key is, what will you choose? How you will react? 
because that's when the devil's got you or God's got you. Because that choice is your spirit communicating. If you're having a thought, a thought is in the spirit. It is not physical. You are choosing. Now, the devil, I do believe, cannot hear our thoughts. But the devil sees our actions and hears our words and can read our texts. But God hears our things. So when we have doubts or whatever, pray in silence to God. And be careful how we react. All right. So I'm going to talk about the next series, and then I'm going to give you the little part about the worship. Uh, the worship part will be pretty quick. So the next series, uh, if you'll remember, it was a few episodes ago in the Mass, of Mass Deception series. I featured a clip of Benny Hinn staring into the camera saying, I will never lie to you. And we know, uh, retroactively, he's lied to us a lot. In fact, most of it was purposeful lies, very deceptive lies. Does he have good fruit? Has he made a difference with some people? Yes. Has he led many people astray? Does he continue to lead people astray? I would say yes. So he is not a good teacher. <laughs> he is not someone that you should follow. He puts out a lot of deception, and he lies. And I really was stricken by the audacity of someone to be able to do that. I honestly do not think I'm capable of doing it. Have I lied in the past? Yeah, certainly. Probably yesterday. But I don't purposefully lie and deceive. And I certainly have never purposefully lied or deceived on this broadcast. Um, and I think, I believe I have integrity saying to you that because we're I'm going back without being asked and correcting some things that were said on this program. And there, there's still a list of them to go. I've got them detailed and I'm going to cover every one, if uh, if God will permit me to be here to do it. Each one. And uh, so the new series was inspired by Benny Hinn saying that lie. And a word came into my mind at that time. And the word was two words put into one, poker face. Because it's almost like a card game. And if a poker player needs to hold a certain face to sell their game, sometimes their face can be jubilant. Sometimes it can look depressed. Sometimes it's no expression at all. But the way that these people 
deceive is they will use every tool in their playbook. And by the way, usually it's for money. So the people I'm going to focus on in the new series called Poker Face, and I'll probably do some other shows in between. I probably won't do it every single time, but the people I'm going to focus on are the ones who are making pretty big money telling you lies. And most of these people, because they repeat the lies, and if they are who they claim to be, they would know that they're lies. And if you're, for instance, a New York best-selling author, you know, your book has become a global franchise. Um, your show is becoming huge. You're getting lots of money from it. And I'm not opposed to anyone making money. Um, I, per I really need the uh, Lord to provide for me and he does it through you, but I don't come on here and beg from beg for donations. Every time I have to remind you that, you know, the links are in the description if you want to support me, because I really can use it, but I don't do this for the money. And if I did, I would be doing a manipulative sales program, uh, every time. And I know how to do it. But even when I was a sales professional, I didn't do that. I want to be clear with that. And I have tons of examples uh, and customers who will tell you that. Um, so there's a couple things that I want to point out to you with this new series. Um, recently, I've been called a heresy hunter. I've been called uh, names that, you know, I'm not giving out enough proof it's not up to Jeff to prove anything to you. It's up to you to go and be the Berean and find out for yourself. I'm a man. I'm flawed. Am I going to get them things wrong? Listen, you just, you just hold a one-way conversation for an hour and see if you get anything wrong. <laughs> just yourself. Try it. It's not that easy, folks. You know how many hours it takes to prepare to do one hour talking? A lot. So I found a website and I was specifically looking for something and I knew what I was looking for. Basically, I know that the scripture tells us to watch out for false teachers. It's scattered throughout the entire Bible, but specifically the New Testament. And we are called to identify false doctrine. That's an easy one as well. But I know that there's a lot of scriptures where, and if we use the scriptures as our instruction, that not only were false doctrines called out, but people were shamed and it was called out publicly. And just like in our study of Ephesians, you know, it says that this stuff has to be exposed. But I found a great article, and I'm not going to read the entire article. I'm just going to read a section of it. Uh, and it's from a website called DesiringGod.org. 
I think it's probably my first time being on the website, but I, I knew that there was a lot of scriptures in Timothy in particular, and just rather than reading the entire book of Timothy, I wanted a quick way of finding these scriptures. So that's how I landed on this article. Um, so this section is called Avoid Rebuke and Call Out. To avoid them, you have to know who they are. You can't avoid somebody if you don't know who they are. This idea of identifying and avoiding shows up in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6, um, and 14, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5, 2 John, verses 10. In other words, Christians and shepherds in particular should be discerning and alert to behavior and teaching that dishonors Christ and destroys people and not treat it in a casual or harmless way. And then in 1 Timothy verse uh, chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, Paul went beyond just avoid them to rebuke them publicly. So speaking of elders who persist in error, he said, do not admit a charge against an elder except on evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, and that sin can be of false doctrine or sin of evil behavior, anyone who does not accept correction, rebuke them in the presence of all. So that that so the rest may stand in fear. And then Paul went on and actually named destructive false teachers. Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. Second Timothy four verse ten. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. 2 Timothy 1.5. By rejecting this faith and good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hermanius and Alexander. Timothy 1.19-20. Their talk will spread like gangrene among our Hermanius and Philitus. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.17. So Paul names at least six false teachers that the church should watch out for. So I infer that Jesus and Paul and Luke and John, that false teaching and destructive behavior in the present dangers in this fallen world for the church. And all of us, especially shepherds, pastors, should be alert, discerning to identify and inappropriate ways, that's important, inappropriate ways expose in order to protect the flock we should expose them and minimize the spread of gangrene, as Paul calls it out. So, you know, this is an online thing, and because of you're watching me online, you're probably watching others online. So a lot of these people are going to have the online presence or just, you know, they've had their books or anything. They've done things uh, that need to be called out. And it's not just a one-off. In fact, so th there's there's a section a little bit further down that I thought 
for me, it just nailed it. And I want to read this to you. Five factors for calling out false teachers. I think this is a good guiding principle for me. Let me know if you agree in the comments. By the way, do you like the name Poker Face? I think it's kind of cool because uh, it's like it also has the connotation where it's evil and uh, and certainly you know Lady Gaga is known of the same title of an album or a song and uh, it's a song I think and uh, yeah, she seems to be pretty evil so it's calling out evil Poker Face. I thought it was clever. I think it was maybe God inspired. I hope. Um. Okay, so there's five factors perhaps to consider when deciding whether to name a false teacher publicly. The seriousness or deceitfulness of the error. If it's something flippant or passing, you know, as, even, listen, someone said, um, I'm a pre-trib rapture guy. Is that really serious? No, people are going to disagree on that. I respect their right to be wrong. <laughs> um, but it's not a salvation issue. It's not getting you to doubt the word of God. It's not taking you away from the word of God. So the seriousness of it could be just an error and deceitfulness. Now, deceitfulness could be more intentional. Um, so th that's point number one. Point number two, the size of the audience and is it growing? If someone, and, and believe me, there's a couple channels that, you know, have like 200 people or a hundred people. And I'm not laughing at that. I was there certainly, um, that, you know, have called, you know, have said false things about me and then said false things about doctrine. Do I need to go after them? No. No. It's an old saying and it's not biblical, but why punch down? Really? It's not worth it. Uh, not worth my time. Number three, the duration of their ministry. Did they make one blunder or are they constantly doing it? That's fair, I'd say. And look, if you, you know, uh, I hope that you give me a little bit more grace for the first year of my broadcast than you would now. Because I was just learning and I wasn't really in ministry. And do they make one blunder or constantly doing it? Again, these kind of hit me as good guidelines. Number four, this is a big one for me. The vulnerability of the people for whom you are responsible. Here's what I'm going to say to this point. I hope you've listened till now. Uh, some of you don't listen all the way through. That's why I say that. But in the... Uh, Chapter 8, I believe it was, or Part 8 of the Mass Deception series. I gave an example that the Lord showed me. It was a vision, It was, but it was real. I was watching it, of 
the tree being cut down. I really want you to go back and pay attention to what I said there. If you want to know my heart on things that you're concerned about and why I say things and why I don't say things, go and watch, listen to what I say very carefully about the example of the tree being that was in my neighborhood. That's all I'll say about that. Number five, the role you have influencing shepherds who really need to be discerning for who the false teachers are. Um, I, I've been told that this show is influential with some people who also are, uh, in fact, there's quite a few kind of high-level people that I know watch the show, so... I would think that uh, we have fall into that category. So Poker Face is going to be, and I kind of have, it's going to be an interesting one and not, uh, what what I, the reason why I'm ending uh, Mass Deception and going into a new series covering this kind of the same thing is because Mass Deception, I felt I needed to do in somewhat of an order for you to understand. And please, please give me comments if if the series was good, if it if I made the points clearly. I think I did. I think I did. I know we only retain about 40% of what we hear. So there's possibly some stuff you missed. You might want to listen to the series again. Um, I don't say that for any monetary gain because there really is none on, uh, especially on Rumble, even YouTube. I don't, there's nothing. It's nothing. Not for me. Um, yeah, so that's a poker face I can kind of bounce around and uh, just where the Lord leads me a little bit more. And and again, I'm going to be introducing the truth alongside of some of the things. And I'm not doing it to condemn people. I don't know their heart. That's up to God but we can put correction out there where correction needs to be made. Um, worship. So there's a lot of questions that I think all of us have, and I've been struggling with it. You know, I'm consider myself somewhat of a music expert. You know, I certainly know music theory. I know frequency i know tone how to get tone i know equipment um i know a lot of stuff and i know a lot of stuff on the spiritual aspect and probably the most first and foremost thing about music and this was i truly believe revelation from god to me it makes perfect sense that music carries the spirit of the author and so there was one person in that chat that I was ref referencing at the beginning of this program that said, well, you know, we don't, it's too much to have that burden to go and research every single person and stuff like that. No, we just got to, we got to trust God. You know what's good and what's not, right? Garbage in, garbage out. But my question, because, you know, first of all, I don't have a pleasing singing voice. And when I, 
play guitar, you know, I, I'm trusting the Lord for kind of a new sound. And I'm not saying new, like first one in the world to do it, just something new to me. And he's got me tinkering in a couple different areas. You know, I think the more I put into it, the more God's going to bring me in a direction. So I, that answer will be prayer. Uh, that prayer will be answered. I'm confident. But the question was for me, Lord, how do I please you in my worship? How do I know it's pleasing to you? And I've been praying that for actually quite some time. And on Sunday, I believe I got an answer that was uh, very unique to me. And I'll just, ex I got to give you the experience that I had. Uh, and <laughs> by the way, oh, by the way, I got to get that jar. It, this is not flattering to me. I want you to know that right off the bat, this is not flattering. I had an experience that lasted, I'm going to guess between one and one and a half seconds long. And it was really four images that flashed before my mind. But there were all kinds of feelings and thoughts that came into my mind associated with each one of these experiences. And the number four is the, the punchline, by the way. The first thing I saw was myself at an ACDC concert, standing up on the floor, close to the stage, hands in the air, rocking out, screaming, you know, doing all those things you do. And ACDC was certainly one of my favorite concerts in the world. But I didn't see it through my eyes. I saw myself standing there just just a flash so if this came from god i'm just like was that what i looked like from god's eyes because if it was a glimpse of what god saw me doing that day he was disgusted <laughs> beyond measure disgusted with me but man, the enthusiasm I had, idol worship, obviously, emotional paganism, Satanist. Uh, it's worth mentioning, I, I was a, that particular one. I've seen ACDC about 10 times. Um, I think that was the only time that I saw ACDC as a Christian. Not flattering, folks. Oh, I'll, I'll pile on. I'll make it worse. 
You want to know the intimate bad stuff about me? I brought my daughter. <clears throat> oh, yeah. The second scene that he showed me or that flashed in front of my mind, maybe this was just all in my mind. I can't confirm it was from God. But it was the same sort of thing. It was looking down on me. And it was me at Denver Mile High Stadium, Denver Broncos football game. Having beers, high-fiving everyone around, you know, having a great time with everyone, cheering on the game. Had a really great time. Again, super enthusiastic. My heart was in it. I wasn't thinking about the taxes I had to pay. You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking about the responsible things, and neither was I at the uh, ACDC concert. I was all in invested in that moment. The third one was myself and my wife. So, yes, I was a Christian. I, I, Christian for all three of these, okay? Um, we were at a Paul McCartney concert. And uh, my wife had surprised me with the tickets because she knew I always wanted to see him and, uh, and I would never spend the money. But we went to Paul McCartney. Now, this is one that's only about five years ago, I think. And uh, what I remember about Paul McCartney concert is and, and I'm not the biggest Paul McCartney fan. I want to, I like the Beatles. I liked Paul McCartney. I was more of a Stones guy. Go figure. A little bit more rebellious in, uh, in my musical taste. But with Paul McCartney, you know, we're in the auditorium half hour, 45 minutes before the show starts. And unlike um, probably any other concert that I've been to, and it's been hundreds, like hundreds of concerts I've been to. There was this overwhelming sense of joy in the atmosphere there. And, uh, but for Paul McCartney, I wasn't standing up and hooting and hollering. It wasn't really that type of concert. You know, we clapped and, you know, did their things, but it was the joy, but again, you know, at the Paul McCartney concert, I wasn't thinking about all the other things. I was invested in it. And the fourth thing the Lord showed me, and again, the, the question was, what is pleasing worship to God? So he certainly showed me things that were not pleasant in his eyes, but he showed me the exuberance. He showed me the dedication of, of the moment. And the fourth thing he showed me was just a bright white light, like staring into the brightest light you could ever stare at. Again, the, all these four scenes were, were like one second gone. And what that said to me was that was the throne room. 
That was where God is. God was there. That was God I was looking at. And here's the punchline. If you want to know my estimation, I'm not saying this is biblical, but for me, this will be kind of a defining line in my personal worship. When we do worship together, um, that's a little bit different, I'd say. But in your personal worship, here's the question and the main point that I would ask myself. If I was standing in the throne room before the Lord, would I sing this song? Would I say these things? I certainly wouldn't sing one of these just emotional songs like, God loves you, yeah. I probably wouldn't be singing, oh, the Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord, giving me the things I need, the sun, the rain, the apple seed. Probably not going to come out of my mouth. Probably not going to be singing a super repetitive uh, song that's on the radio. These things aren't bad to listen to. We need Christian entertainment. But I think if you just consider, if you were standing, just picture that, whatever that looks like to you, in the presence of God, physically there, how would you worship? Now, in Revelation, we have examples of how the elders are worshiping. <laughs> they're holy, 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 you know, and they're just doing this thing, this repetitive pattern. But the overwhelming thought that I had about this, because, and th by the way, those scriptures in uh, Revelation always kind of confused me because, you know, if you're there forever and these guys are just doing the same routine over and over and over, yeah, that can't be heaven. That's repetitive hell, right? I, figuratively speaking, folks, uh, hear my heart in saying this. The overwhelming thought that I get when I consider this is that they just want to do it. They're all in. They're not tired of it. They want to continue you want to, and when you're in the presence of God, you want to worship him. You want, you, you're compelled to, there's nothing else to do but to worship God. And right now, you and I, brothers and sisters, we might not be in the physical third heavens with God. But we are in his presence. So for me, I'm going to picture what it's like in personal worship, what I would sing to him if I was just there. And those are the words that are going to come out of my mouth. Or maybe the notes from my fingers on a guitar or a drum or something. Anyways, 
I hope that let me know what you think about the worship. Leave me a comment if you don't mind. And please like and share this if you uh, feel it's edifying and good for someone. I know maybe it went a little bit long, but I think I got a lot of information to this one. So God bless each and every one of you. I mean that sincerely. I do pray for each one of you. And uh, I know many of you pray for me often. I want to thank you for that. Um, I need it, actually. I'm kind of putting myself out there. So, And if you can support me, there are some links in the description box. Uh, I really could use it. And uh, I'm thinking about doing a fundraiser uh, for some stuff. I really feel I need some equipment, but I'll talk about that another day. Anyways, may God bless each and every one of you. And remember to love and worship part of your worship to him is loving your family part of your worship to your god is loving your neighbor as yourself and part of your worship to your god is to make a difference in your community but remember all these things i just said to you remember you're doing them in the presence of God.